Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, and I'll be your host in this roundup of the past week of fake news. And also, I'll mention this is a milestone day for me. It was 14 years ago today that I began my media adventure in radio. And uh, my first love is always newspaper. I love the print media stuff, but radio is where I got started. And 14 years ago to this day, I told them, okay, I will do the website for you, but don't you dare put me on air. I do not want to talk on the radio. And uh, by, by the end of the week, I was on the radio doing the weather. And here I am today, 14 years later, doing a podcast. I did end up spending 11 years in radio, and I worked some other jobs also uh, in between or during that time early on. Uh, I worked, wrote for print media as a journalist and young adult, and I care about the media. That's why I get so upset when I see what it's turned into these days. And that's why I started this show, so that we could catalog it, hold them accountable, and hopefully in the future, see a change. But that's going to take some time to get to that point. For the meantime, we're going to get into this past week in fake news. And so I say in the beginning, the media tries to mislead you literally every day. Well, here we are seven days later since the last airing of a podcast show here. And I've got seven news stories today. So one for every day of the week, pretty much. Seven news stories today of things that have happened in the realm of fake news for the past week. And the first one that I want to start with is, uh, well, it's it's probably one of the most uh, important things that's happened here lately. Today, we're going to start with the dictionary. Uh, the dictionary is a form of media. We think we're going to talk about different news sources, but uh, the dictionary, I would consider it not a news source, but a very, very important form of media. Uh, for example, here's why the dictionary is so important. If you have a disagreement with somebody about something, you always need an external source to prove your case. Whenever you want to prove anything, you need to be able to look to some some kind of external objective or supposedly objective standard by which you can measure everything else. That's the only way you're going to get anywhere when talking to another person. If I'm disagreeing with someone about a color, let's say that I say something is red and someone else calls it orange. Well, we need some kind of external standard we can look to for what determines what red is and what orange is. Hey, let's, let's just take a crayon box out. You could consult the crayon box. <laughs> you hold up the crayons. You say, does this look more like red or does it look more like orange? Maybe it's going to be somewhere in between. So you could consult the crayon box as some sort of authority when determining something such as what color something is. In a similar way, the dictionary is our highest authority on words and their meaning. If you change the meaning of words, you really can literally change the way society thinks. Uh, I would say he who writes the dictionary writes reality, and therefore he who rewrites the dictionary rewrites reality. And so the first story that I have for you today is regarding Merriam-Webster. And this is reported on in Newsweek, but it's not really about Newsweek right now. It's about the Merriam-Webster dictionary. They've changed their definition of anti-vaxxer. And now the definition of anti-vaxxer has been expanded to include anyone who opposes vaccine mandates. This is a different way of thinking about 
the phrase anti-vaxxer than what we've heard in the past. Let me just read here from what the beginning of the article, as printed in Newsweek, what it says. The official definition of anti-vaxxer, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, includes people who oppose vaccine mandates. The dictionary's definition of the term, which was updated last month, is a person who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccination. Now, this is important because in the past, the term, the phrase anti-vaxxer, you often heard that used as a pejorative. Um, A lot of times people who were against vaccines in general were called anti-vaxxers. They were scorned. They were vilified. Uh, Now, personally, I mean, I've, as a baby, I had lots of vaccines. As a young kid, I had lots of vaccines. I personally uh, wouldn't consider myself an anti-vaxxer in general, uh, but I'm also a personal freedom guy if that's not what someone else wants to do. If they want to do something totally different, you know, it's uh, it's their body and their their biological system. It's their own medical choice. I don't think people should be forced into stuff like that. But, but people who are anti-vaxxer in general, uh, that's what the phrase referred to people who were against vaccines as a general rule. Now, when the new coronavirus COVID-19 vaccine came out, you saw a lot more people with some hesitancy about whether they wanted to take that because it had been developed so quickly, so much more quickly than any other vaccine in history has ever gone to market. And uh, it, it went so quickly on the scene that a lot of people were unsure about whether they wanted to take it right away. Some people still are not sure where they, they want to take it. They have a lot of questions about uh, its effectiveness over time, what the side effects are. They kind of want to see how other people do with the vaccine before making that choice for themselves. So as you know, as a society, we've had this uh, public debate, public, public conversation, I think they call it, um, a national conversation about whether or not to take this vaccine. And and you've seen in some places, some businesses, and now even the government is stepping into mandating people taking the vaccine. And so that's where we are right now. In the past, as I said, in the past, the term anti-vaxxer really just referred to people who were against vaccines in general, which was a pretty small segment of the population. Um, but that's why we had a word for it, just to define those specific people. Well, now the phrase anti-vaxxer in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary has been expanded to include people who might not want the coronavirus, the COVID-19 vaccine, or people who don't even want to mandate that others have to take the COVID-19 vaccine. So this is a much broader, much wider category of people now. It doesn't refer to just this specific category of people who are against vaccines in general. Now, if you are even against vaccine mandates, you would be considered an anti-vaxxer according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Now, the purpose of this change is because um, whether you agree with anti the, the classical definition of anti-vaxxers or not, whether or not you agreed with them, um, society at large often demonized them. Uh, society at large often uh, vilified people who were against vaccines. And, uh, and, and still do, but I mean, society has, has not always been kind to people who make that decision or make that decision for their families. Well, as a way to, to paint with a broader brush and demonize an even larger segment of the population. Now they're expanding that unpopular phrase, anti-vax. They're expanding that to include even people who are against vaccine 
mandates. This is very dangerous whenever we start playing with the definitions of words. Because as I was saying, he who writes the dictionary writes reality. And I don't mean that they literally have that power to change reality, but it has a significant influence on the way many people in society think, the way that we use words. It's how a lot of um, a lot of issues that activists have tried to push in the past, once they control the way we talk about certain things over time, they really consolidate a lot of power to enact the changes that they want in society because they are so uh, oppressive about taking over the language. And so when you can control the language, you can oftentimes control the outcome of many different controversial issues. So it's, it's pretty obvious that <laughs> the, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is wanting to help push people getting the vaccine. They want to crack down on vaccine hesitancy. And so they're trying to demonize people if you are against a vaccine mandate. If you think people should just have personal freedom and not be mandated to choose whether they get a vaccine, now you are going to be called anti-vax. Now, just I want you to think about what this means for a minute. You can be vaccinated with all the regular vaccinations. You can have the COVID vaccine. You can even be in favor of others getting all the available vaccinations out there and the COVID-19 vaccine. You can be in favor of all that. But if you are against vaccine mandates, you are now considered anti-vax, according to this new way of using the word, according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. So this has been reported in Newsweek. They're the ones who've said that the, 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 the definition has changed. It was updated last month and that now it includes people who are against not just vaccines, but even if you're, you're, you can be for vaccines, have the vaccines. But if you're against the mandate, now you are anti-vax. Now, here's why I have such a big problem with this. As I've been saying, the dictionary is supposed to bring clarity. If you're confused about what something means, you're supposed to be able to go to a dictionary, consult it for clarification, just like we might do with a box of crayons to help us figure out what color something is. The dictionary is supposed to bring clarity to our lives in figuring out what words mean. So the, the dictionary is helpful because it draws narrow borders around the meanings of words that we can better distinguish one word or one phrase from another. But when the dictionary intentionally muddies the waters and removes the borders between words, the agenda is no longer clarity, but something else. And so, as reported in Newsweek, Merriam-Webster has changed the definition of what it means to be anti-vax. Now, <laughs> that wasn't anything against Newsweek specifically. That was talking about what the dictionary was doing. Now I have something a little bit more against Newsweek specifically because less than a week, less than a week after they reported this new definition of how dictionaries are changing the meaning of this word, Newsweek is already using it in a headline. <laughs> in their cover story for this week, anti-vaxxers could feel spike in childhood diseases. It will be horrific. If you are an anti-vaxxer, if you're a Maybe you've had the vaccination yourself for COVID-19. Maybe you encourage other people to get it. But if you're against legal mandates for vaccination, you could fuel a spike in childhood diseases. <laughs> now Newsweek magazine is coming after you. It says it right in the headline in quotes, it will be horrific. If you were to look at today's issue, I'm recording this on October 15th. If you look at the October 15th issue of the Newsweek magazine for this week, the cover of it has a picture of a, a burning vaccination card, and they are already using this this new definition, this brand new definition of anti-vaxxer that they just reported on a week ago. They're already using it 
in their cover story of Newsweek magazine to make sure that you know if you're against the vaccine mandate. Well, guess what, buddy? Uh, you could feel a spike in childhood diseases and it will be horrific. <laughs> you know, the the way the journalists are with these new definition of words, it reminds me of like kids on Christmas morning, you know, when, when they open their presents and they get this new set of toys and man, those kids can't wait to just take those new toys and take their old toys and smash them together and play with all kinds of new, make little toy adventures. That's like what the media is doing with these new words. It's like, oh, wow, we have these new words and new definitions. And, and, and how can we play with them this week? How can we put them in new combinations and smash them all together? And so they're already going after you um, with this new definition, courtesy of Merriam-Webster. I wish that I could say the dictionary itself, the Merriam-Webster dictionary, the Webster dictionary, dictionary.com. I wish these places could be trustworthy external standards of how we think about uh, everything going on in the world. But sad to say they are not. They are honestly being used as tools of the Democratic Party. We saw this literally um, a year ago this week. A year ago this week, Amy Coney Barrett, if you remember, she was going through the confirmation process before the United States Senate to see if she would be confirmed uh, as the newest justice on the Supreme Court bench. And if you remember, a year ago this week, she was answering some question from one of the senators. You know, they, they put him on the stand and, and interrogate them by all the different senators who want to ask questions. And in her, one of her answers, she used the term sexual preference. All right. Hawaii Senator Maisie Hirono immediately called that out and started berating Amy Coney Barrett because she used the term sexual preference instead of sexual orientation. And she said, sexual preference is an offensive and outdated term. Now, this was news to virtually everybody, as prior to that week, lots of people, Republican, Democrat, everyone, commonly used the phrase sexual preference. Nobody was going around saying this was an offensive term or outdated. But Maisie Hirono declared that it was outdated and offensive to use the phrase sexual preference as a way to demonize Amy Coney Barrett. And what do you know? The very next day, Webster's Dictionary on their website changed the definition of sexual preference, and they added a disclaimer that it's an offensive phrase. They did that after, not before, but after a Democrat senator used this claim that sexual preference is an offensive term immediately Uh, To back her up, the dictionary changed their definition of sexual preference to now say it is an offensive term because Maisie Hirono said it was just as a way to try to to take a swipe to demonize Amy Coney Barrett, because honestly, she was pretty perfect up there on the stand. She answered all her questions so excellently. There was almost nothing anyone could say against anything that that she said. And so how could they go after her? They just had to make something up. And they made up that sexual preference is now offensive and outdated. It was so outdated. Listen to how outdated it was. It was so outdated that Maisie Hirono was telling us this was offensive even the day before the dictionary figured that out because they didn't put that in until the next day. (laughs) You know, they just get their marching orders from the Democratic Party. And uh, that's sad. That's not what the dictionary is supposed to be. It's not supposed to promote one ideology over another. The dictionary is supposed to tell us just simply what words mean. And so that's why, you know what, last week, 
as I was talking about um, the use of the word equivalent in one of the news stories, I consulted the Merriam-Webster Dictionary and read that definition. I printed it off their website and read it to you. And you know what? Even as I did that last week, I was thinking, I really don't know if I should be going to an online dictionary for definitions of words because they can just change them at a whim to back up whatever the agenda of the day is. And so I literally was thinking last week, I really should just be using a a print dictionary that just can't be updated at the whims of whoever's, you know, in charge at the over at the Democratic National Convention. I I need something that can just be a little bit more stable in its definitions, like a print version of the dictionary. So I went online and I ordered I ordered a Merriam-Webster dictionary from 2002. In the future, if I need to consult a dictionary for you guys, I'll just go off of that. I'm not going to go off the internet because the thing about digital medium, they, they can just be changed uh, at a whim. And so don't want to have to deal with that. So that's story number one of the day. I know I spent an extra long time on that. I'll go through the others a lot quicker, but I just felt like that was so important when people are playing with dictionaries and the definitions of words. You got to be aware of what they're doing. And uh, that's why I wanted to bring that to your attention. Now let's get on into our second news item of the day. This is from The Verge. I've heard of The, the Verge here and there. I don't know a whole lot about that um, as, a news, as a news website. And so he, here's what The Verge, though. The Verge, an online news website, here's what they said. Netflix suspends trans employee who tweeted about Dave Chappelle's special. Now, in case you haven't heard, a comedian named Dave Chappelle, he put out a new special. I think it's called The Closer. Uh, he put out a new special on Netflix. This created quite a stir because he said some things that were biologically accurate <laughs> about transgender people. And transgender people didn't like biological facts or, or reality. And so this started a societal backlash against Dave Chappelle and a lot of people saying Netflix should pull the, the, the comedy special down. I'm surprised, honestly, I'm surprised, but they did leave it up. They said they're going to leave it up because it's so popular right now. But there was a transgender employee out who worked for Netflix and they were temporarily suspended. They've already been reinstated, again, because of backlash. They've already been reinstated by the time I'm recording this. But earlier this week, I'll read the headline again. Netflix suspends trans employee who tweeted about Dave Chappelle's special. Well, from reading that headline, it sounds a whole lot like this employee was suspended because of a tweet that they put out. That is the impression you'd get that Netflix is just being so hateful to this transgender employee that they they suspended them for a mere tweet. That is the that's the way that the story reads. They were suspended for putting out a tweet and that's all they did and now they're in trouble. Well, there's a little more to the story than that. In fact, even in the Verge's own reporting they acknowledge there's a little more to the story than that. So the the employee, and their name's Tara Field, and I don't know if this is a man or a woman, Tara Field, but the Netflix suspended Field because Field barged into a director-level meeting that they were not supposed to be at and uh, apparently spoke up about their disagreement with Netflix having the special. I'm not, you know, there's nothing I could find reported on what the nature of their disagreement was, like if they were yelling or what. But that is why they were suspended, because they went to a meeting they weren't supposed to be at, he or her, I don't know, went to a meeting, had nothing to do with the tweet. Yes, this employee did tweet that they didn't, they weren't happy about the special being on, but that wasn't 
why they were suspended. They were suspended because they were being belligerent at work. <laughs> and so that's not the way The Verge reports it. The, 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 the Verge reports it as if they were suspended because of that. It's just more media lies. This was to take a swipe at Netflix for suspending the employee that I guess The Verge wanted to support that employee. So they put a very dishonest headline out. That is fake news item number two of the week. Uh, here's number three. <laughs> this is one that it just kind of cracked me up. Um, I, it's, it's, not a, it's not a headline, but it's what someone was talking about on CNN. Uh, I believe it was somebody from uh, The Atlantic, but they were being interviewed on CNN. So this was a writer, a contributing writer for The Atlantic, being on, uh, his name's Tom Nichols, and he was on Brianna Keeler, Kyler's, her show on CNN. And he says, I think the entire Fox primetime lineup is basically organized around keeping people terrified. Much like a drug, when you start people on fear as a way to hook them, you have to keep delivering bigger and bigger hits of that fear. So I just thought this was funny. The Atlantic and CNN were teaming up to criticize Fox News. Um, I, I follow CNN and some of their reporters on Twitter. From from what I can tell, I don't know that CNN even reports anymore on actual news. I think they spend at least half their time reporting on Fox News' reporting on the news. I don't know that CNN actually <laughs> goes outside anymore. I think they go to the Fox News website and just write commentaries about Fox. And so what their claim is, here it's someone from The Atlantic being interviewed on CNN, the, the entire Fox primetime lineup is organized around keeping people terrified and delivering fear. And so just after seeing that, Brian Stelter, one of the workers out at CNN, retweeted that. Just after seeing that, I immediately went to CNN's website because, okay, so apparently they don't want to just keep their readers or listeners terrified. They don't want to report based on fear. What does CNN report today? At that exact time I saw that, I went over, here's what their top story is on CNN.com. What sea level rise will look like around the globe. They're talking about climate change and how the seas are going to rise and, you know, all these places people live right now or people are going to uh, be underwater, so they got to move away from the coasts and the subhead, 50 major cities will need to implement unprecedented measures to prevent seas from swallowing populated areas. It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> Fox News, all it does is try to terrify people and keep them, keep them afraid. Meanwhile, on CNN, climate change is going to drown all the coastal cities. It's, it's uh, absolutely ridiculous that they, they, I don't know, it's like they don't have a mirror at CNN. And they really need to get one installed out there because that would, that would help... That would help Brian Stelter in more ways than one. Okay, uh, here's our next news item for today. Aspirin lowers the risk of COVID. New findings support preliminary Israel, Israeli trial. So about a week ago, the Jerusalem Post and other places, they published about a study that aspirin is lowering the risk of COVID. And as you know, um, a lot of people take... I'm not going to give medical advice here, by the way. I'm I'm just... I'm just a podcaster. Okay. So don't take medical advice from me. I'm just telling you what has been, what's been said in the news. And so a lot of people take aspirins daily to help mitigate possible effects of heart disease, heart attacks. And as you know, uh, a lot of times COVID can affect people who have heart issues, chest issues, lungs, all that kind of stuff. And so they've found that some people who are taking this aspirin regularly are also 
finding benefits in fighting COVID. That was just the results of a preliminary trial in Israel. And so this was reported about a week ago. And when this was reported, you know, there's a lot of people like on Twitter saying, oh, okay, now that now that aspirin's been found as something that could potentially help COVID patients, the media is going to start running hit pieces on aspirin. <laughs> you know, that was a joke that people had. Two days ago, two days ago, New York Times, aspirin used to prevent first heart attack or stroke should be curtailed, U.S. panel says, from the Hill. Aspirin should not be recommended to most adults for heart attack prevention, from CNN. U.S. task force proposes that adults 60 and older should not start daily aspirin to prevent heart disease or stroke. ABC News, advice shifting on aspirin use for preventing heart attacks. And back to the Jerusalem Post, Taking aspirin to prevent heart attacks and strokes can be dangerous. And so less than a week after it was reported as something that could help people fight against COVID, uh, uh, now the media is all over it wanting to make sure, hey, probably shouldn't be taking aspirin so much anymore. I don't know why the media immediately lashed out against aspirin right after this report, this study came out. I I feel like the timing is too coincidental for those two stories to be a coincidence. And a lot of people predicted that one would follow the other, and then that's exactly what happened. So, you know, I don't, I don't know what the agenda is. I, I could speculate. I don't want to just get on here and speculate, but um, I, I just find that so coincidental. I thought I should tell you about it. It's like, it's like the media doesn't want you to think that there's any other thing that could treat COVID other than getting the vaccination. That's honestly what it looks like to me. I don't know if that's what the agenda is. That's the appearance I get. That's kind of what I gather from when anytime someone throws out any kind of idea as something that could help fight COVID, there's immediately this big media campaign against it to try to downplay that or or say that it's dangerous or harmful and lies start coming out about it to tell people not to take that other treatment. Just get a vaccine. That's what they want us to know. I find it a little bit suspicious. I don't I don't know what's the deal with that. So I thought I should just tell you about it. That's been reported in a lot of places this past week. NBC, The Hill, lots of places. Um, and that's what's going on there. If you see any hate going around <laughs> about aspirin, that's that's where it's coming from. All right. Uh, for our fifth item for today, I just wanted to mention this. Um, th- this is not a new thing for this week. But as you know, last week's program, we were talking about how uh, Facebook was under attack. There was a media campaign that went out against Facebook because basically because the Democrats were wanting to control social media and and enforce new regulations on social media to control what kind of content is allowed to be shared on there. And so that was last week. We talked about that on the last program. I just wanted to to report a little bit of a follow-up to that. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, one of the senators, I think she's from Massachusetts, one of the senators in America, um, as reported on Fox News, she's sounding the alarm while on The View. She she said, break up Facebook before the 2022 elections come and the truth still comes along. She said, we have to do this not just to protect our economy, but to protect our democracy. We need to break up Facebook before 2022. Just want to let you know that <laughs> that is what the agenda is when they're trying to drum up all this, all this hatred about uh, Facebook. Right now, it looks as though the Democrats are going to be totally shellacked in the midterm elections next year. And that's very expected because oftentimes the party in power doesn't do good on midterm elections. That's just the way it normally goes in America. And that's what it's looking like for next year. And so to get out a bit ahead of that, the the Democrats are saying they need to break up Facebook 
by the way, this is just a this is a threat by them again. They could follow through on this threat, but I'm saying they're trying to tell Facebook if you don't do something to change the way you curate news and and honestly to start cracking down against conservative voices on Facebook, then they say, hey, we're going to break your company up. Do what we say or, or we're going to break you up. I mean, that is that is the threat here. They could follow through on that threat, but that is what they're trying to do. They're trying to trying to scare them. So I just wanted to mention that because I, I talked a lot about that news story last week, and I wanted to give a little bit of a follow-up just as we kind of follow to see if, if this continues to be, um, as this is as this is their clear agenda, we just want to kind of follow up on that and see if they continue to use the media to demonize Facebook in the public eye. And by the way, I'll mention, I think I got the, the last week I said uh, the name of the Facebook whistleblower was Christina Haugen, and I did get that name wrong. I, I double-checked that after <laughs> recording. I should have double-checked before, but I double-checked after. It was uh, Francis, not Christina. Her name's Francis. So just a little mistake there, but I wanted to correct that. I don't know why I said Christina. I looked at her, and she did look like a Christina, acted like a Karen, but her name is Francis. So um, she was the whistleblower who was going on about all the unethical things, supposedly unethical things going on at Facebook. But again, that's that's just a media-fueled kind of conspiracy theory that they're trying to use to control Facebook. Let's hope and pray it doesn't work. Okay, sixth item for today. This is a fake news item from the past. We're going to go back to 2004. Why? Well, I don't know. This just resurfaced on Twitter this week. Uh, as reported in The Guardian on the 21st of February 2004, back when George Bush was president, and the headline was, Now the Pentagon tells us climate change will destroy us. And here is what they reported in The Guardian. I, I think The Guardian is like a European uh, newspaper or magazine or something. I, I think that they're from over in Europe. But um, this is what they reported in The Guardian about climate change in 2004, they said Britain will be Siberian in less than 20 years. Britain is going to be plunged into a Siberian climate by 2020. Wow. That's what they say about the year 2020, which was last year. That by 2020, Britain is going to be plunged into a Siberian climate. Siberian, I guess, meaning super duper cold. I don't know. I would have to check the dictionary definition <laughs> to make sure exactly what they mean by that, but I don't have a reliable dictionary in front of me yet. But they said in 2004 that Britain was going to be plunged into a Siberian climate by the year 2020. Not only that, nuclear conflict, mega droughts, famine, and widespread rioting will erupt across the world. That was what they were saying about climate change back in 2004 about what the world would be like by 2020, not reported in one of those tabloids that you'd see on the side of the aisle as you're checking out at Walmart. Not, not, not there. In The Guardian, which is a major news source. Again, I think it's from Europe, but um, and a major news source over there reported that by 2020, there'd be nuclear conflict. Actually, they were, they were kind of right about the widespread rioting. <laughs> we did have that in 2020. So I, I, I guess I got to give them that. Somehow they predicted all those Black Lives Matter riots were going to break out across the world. And, and uh, other than that, I don't think we've seen any nuclear conflict or Siberian climates. <laughs> so I just wanted to, uh, wanted to mention that. That was a fake news item from, from 2004. But, but why do I bring it up? Not to make fun of 2004. To, make, to, to honestly just say 
almost all of the climate change hysteria that you see in the news media, like we mentioned from CNN earlier, almost all of that is fabricated, exaggerated. Uh, It's to try to incite fear, like CNN accused Fox of doing. It's to try to incite fear when in reality, there's, there's not that much to be afraid of there. As we can see, their predictions fail time and time again. Let's go on to our seventh and final news item for today. And then I want to do a little bit of beyond the headline. But first, I just want to mention this. Um, Some of you might have heard of a podcast called, I think it's the Joe Rogan Experience is what it's called. Uh, So Joe Rogan, this is like the most popular podcast in in the world. Like this is a super, super popular podcast, has many, many listeners. I was flying on a plane here pretty recently and um, smushed in between two other guys. One of them's like watching or listening to the Joe Rogan podcast. So, I mean, this is like a very, this is a super popular podcast um, that he just does interviews, I think. He just brings different different people on. And and recently, this past week, he brought someone on from CNN. And he asked them straight out, why did your network lie about me back whenever I had COVID? Back when he had COVID, he talked about the different treatments he was getting for fighting COVID. And, and one of them was, uh, ivermectin. That's a, that's a treatment for COVID that he got. And that was very controversial because for a little while there, uh, this ivermectin was flying off the shelves. And I guess ivermectin is also used as a, as a horse dewormer or a cattle dewormer, something like that. And it can be used in humans too. Honestly, literally there was like a 2015 Nobel prize given to a guy for discovering the use of ivermectin in treating humans. So it's not like this is an animal-specific drug whatsoever. But CNN wanted to demonize ivermectin, and so they wanted to demonize Joe Rogan for taking it, and they reported that Joe Rogan was taking horse dewormer. Like, they literally reported that on CNN. (laughs) And so Joe Rogan invites, um, you know, I can't think of of what the guy's name is, Um, Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay Gupta is CNN's medical expert, and he went on the Joe Rogan podcast show. And he said straight to him, why did your network lie to my face? And let me let me find the exact quote here. Um, Rogan said, it should bother you. They're lying at your network about people taking human drugs versus drugs for veterinary. And then Gupta interrupts, calling it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get that. Rogan says, it's a lie. It's a lie on a news network. It's a lie. That's a willing, that's a lie that they're conscious of. This is not a mistake. They're unfavorably framing it as veterinary medicine. And Gupta acknowledges, yeah, that his network lied. Then, of course, Gupta went back home to CNN, and they started criticizing him for agreeing that they lied when they did lie. And so Don Lemon doubled down on the lie. Uh, He brought Sanjay Gupta on his show over there at CNN and said, it's not a lie to say that ivermectin is used as a horse dewormer. Well, here's why that is a lie, because there's lots of other uses for ivermectin besides just using them in animals. They can be used in people. Uh, Joe Rogan was using the people version. So there's nothing accurate about saying that he was taking a horse dewormer. There's nothing accurate about that whatsoever. It's just meant to lie and demonize someone else. I mean, I grew up on a farm. We regularly had the vet come out and we would give antibiotics to our cows. He'd give vaccinations to our cows. You know, that's just a, a regular thing that we do. Does that mean that it would be accurate for me to say that, well, um, if you get antibiotics because, you know, you get a cold or something, if you take antibiotics, now you're taking cow medicine? <laughs> Is that what that means? 
you know, definitely not. There's other uses for antibiotics besides just in one type of species. And so um, CNN is just, they're trying to justify that, you know, they, they couldn't just uh, acknowledge that they lied. They couldn't just ignore it. No, they wanted to double down on it. Journalist Glenn Greenwald responded to Lemon's commentary from that show. He said, CNN and Don Lemon are pathetic. There is zero ambiguity that they lied about Joe Rogan. They told viewers that he took a horse dewormer, a 100% lie. He took the human version of ivermectin prescribed by his medical doctor. But as I said, lying is not frowned upon at CNN. It's encouraged. That's what Glenn Greenwald said. I would agree. In fact, I would say lying's not just encouraged at CNN. It's their entire business model. All right. Well, that's that's our seven headlines for the week. I hope we don't always have seven because that's a lot to talk about. But as we close down today, I want to talk a little bit uh, about, I want to do something called Beyond the Headline again. And I want to talk about a journalist named Katie Couric. A lot of you have heard of Katie Couric. I'm not sure which network she even works for at the moment. I think she's worked for maybe a few different ones over the years. But she admitted in a memoir that came out this week that she protected Ruth Bader Ginsburg by editing out disparaging remarks that she made about people who kneeled for the national anthem. And so as you remember, a few years ago, this was back in 2016, NFL player Colin Kaepernick um, he decided to no longer stand for the national anthem as it was played at their games. He decided he was going to kneel. He did this as a way to be intentionally disrespectful to the United States of America and to our flag. Uh, everyone saw it as an act of disrespect. Donald Trump condemned it. Hillary Clinton condemned it. This was almost universally disparaged in society back whenever he did this. But then Donald Trump won the election in 2016 the political left decided that the most mature thing that they could do was to radically oppose anything that Trump liked. And so whatever Trump said he wanted to do or whatever he liked, they would immediately go as far in the other direction as possible. Trump wanted to secure the border. The left started talking about having open borders. Donald Trump would kill a terrorist. The left started writing tearful eulogies about how great that terrorist was. It's too bad Donald Trump wasn't more vocally supportive of hiding in your basement or Joe Biden would have had no chance last year. So back in 2016, when, again, back then, pretty much everyone was against Colin Kaepernick and his protest. One of the other people who were complaining about his kneeling was liberal icon Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was a Supreme Court justice. And she had some disparaging comments to make about Colin Kaepernick's protest. Uh, some of the things that she said is that he had contempt for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life. Uh, one of the other things that she said was people like Kaepernick were dumb and disrespectful. And so Katie Couric was interviewing Ruth Bader Ginsburg and she didn't want Ruth Bader Ginsburg to anger the far left with her comments against Colin Kaepernick. And so she decided to edit this interview so that people didn't actually hear the truth of what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said. She decided she wanted to protect Ginsburg, who actually passed away last year. She called herself a big RBG fan. And so Katie Couric is openly such a fangirl for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She didn't want to report anything, as in the truth, that could make Ruth Bader Ginsburg unpopular with her side of the aisle. I, I, I want to use a new term to describe this action by Katie Couric. I'm going to call it being openly dishonest. That sounds like a bit of an oxymoron, two words that should not go together. Openly dishonest. 
And yet that's exactly what she is. She's a journalist who openly admits that she lies to you. She's paid millions of dollars to go on TV and deceive the public. And she openly and freely admits that with no shame. Now, I think back to my days as a journalist. I would have been laughed out of the newsroom if I had said what she said, that I edited someone's comments because I was afraid of hurting their reputation. Like if I had said that to my editor <laughs> that, oh, I, don't, I want to cut out these comments because they make them look bad. It, it shows what they really think, but it's going to make this public official look bad. My editor would have just looked at me and probably said, well, did they say it? And if, yeah, they, they said it, that's the end of the question. It's the end of the conversation. If they said it, you report what they said. It, it's not the journalist's job to only report stuff that's going to make someone look popular or only try to help out your friends. But Katie Couric is, is not much of a journalist. I think we can say that. Uh, she was more concerned with promoting Ruth Bader Ginsburg's image instead of telling the truth about what Ruth Bader Ginsburg said. And so she's getting a lot of hate for that this week. A lot of people are calling her out for it. That's a good thing. I mean, we should call her out for that. But we're only calling her out for it because she did get caught. She, In fact, she outed herself. She openly said this in her memoir. She, she had no shame about saying this. It's quite crazy. Nick Sandman wrote on Twitter, the media assumes it is up to them to decide what the public knows and doesn't know instead of reporting the truth. Well, Nick would be an authority on this. Um, Nick Sandman's the boy who was demonized on CNN and some other networks because it, they framed a situation with him a few years ago as if he and some of his buddies were ganging up on a Native American activist, when in reality, the activist was coming over and getting in their faces. And so they were demonized because they were wearing Donald Trump, Make America Great Again hats. And of course, the clowns over at CNN don't like that very much. And so they went after these boys and disparaged them publicly. And uh, Nick Sandman sued CNN and I think has sued some other media organizations, ended up settling for millions of dollars from CNN because they decided to defame his character for no reason other than they didn't like the hat he was wearing. Um, and he's absolutely right in what he says about Katie Couric there. The ACLU just about a week ago, or a few, maybe it's a few weeks ago, on the anniversary of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death, they tweeted out a quote from her saying, The decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a person's life, to their well-being and dignity. But that's not what she actually said. Ruth Bader Ginsburg's original quote was that the decision whether or not to bear a child is central to a woman's life, to her well-being and dignity. But the ACLU is trying to update her quote because they don't like the fact that she said something not inclusive enough, that she said when talking about abortion that it's something that only affected women. And a year later, a year after her death, it would no longer be couth to say that. Now abortion is supposed to be something that affects men and women, meaning men who could get pregnant, fake men, the transgender men. The ACLU has an excuse somewhat for why they would do something like this that's so dishonest. They are a political activist organization. Doesn't mean it's right for them to lie, but nobody looks at an organization of Democrat lawyers for honesty in the first place. But what would be Katie Couric's excuse? Well, she doesn't have one, but she's also not trying to come up with one. She's openly dishonest. So that's our Beyond the Headline story for this week. Katie Couric openly dishonest on her reporting on Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 
I love that she thought there would be no backlash to saying that, but it's finding out that there is a little bit, uh, there's a little bit more people out there than she realized who do want the news to be honest. Okay, I want to give some closing thoughts. First, I just want to say my fake news item of the week, fake news weekly winner. I'm going to give the award this week for our fakest news of the week to Newsweek. Newsweek, because yes, they broke the story about Merriam-Webster changing the dictionary definition of the word, but then less than a week later, they were playing with it uh, in their front page news story of their <laughs> of their magazine. And so Newsweek, you get the award for fakest news of the week. Newsweek should probably change their name to Newspeak if you get that 1984 reference. And then um, I want to give some closing thoughts. I just do want to mention before we go that if you want to get in touch with us here at the Fake News Podcast, um, we have a Gmail account. It is fierybutpeaceful at gmail.com. So if you want to send us any news items or just have a comment about the show, you can send it there. Also, I'm on Twitter. Uh, the handle right now is called at podfakenews, at P-O-D fake news. Uh, that's where you can find us on Twitter if you want to uh, follow along with us there. I just started that account this week, so we could use some followers. Come join us on Twitter at podfakenews. All right, so some closing thoughts. The point of the news media is supposed to be to tell you the facts. The point of the First Amendment is so that the media can tell you the truth. The First Amendment says that the government is to stay out of the media's face and let them say what they want. This was to prevent the government from controlling the narrative. This was to let the media get out the facts without having to worry about repercussions from politicians who wanted to hide them. It gave the media freedom from government tyranny. It gave the media the freedom to tell the truth with no accountability. But that freedom is now being used to tell lies with no accountability. And that wasn't the intention of the founders of this country. But perhaps it was the inevitable outcome. And the answer to fix this problem is not government regulation, which would make us no different than any other dictatorship in history. And the answer is not rescinding the First Amendment. The only answer with a positive outcome for society is that the media must correct itself. And they can do that when their agenda once again gets back to telling the truth. The thing I think ties this week's news stories together is that the media's agenda could not be more obvious, and their agenda is not the truth. They want to demonize anyone who's against vaccine mandates, therefore they expand the definition of anti-vax. They want to rewrite reality to suit their narrative of the day, because their agenda is not the truth. They don't want people thinking there's any solution to the coronavirus other than a vaccine. Therefore, they launch a coordinated campaign against aspirin, because their agenda is not the truth. That's also why they lied about ivermectin being only a horse dewormer rather than a medical treatment for humans, because their agenda is not the truth. They want to prevent liberal icon RBG from blowback for her comments five years ago about kneeling for the national anthem because, let's face it, she's practically a saint of the Democratic Party, so they cover up her actual opinions because their agenda is not the truth. It's not about telling you the truth. It's about selling you a narrative. And if selling you that narrative requires them to obscure or change the facts, journalists like Katie Couric are completely open about their intention to do just that. Openly dishonest. It's what they are. It's what they voluntarily admit to being. Openly dishonest. A few years ago, I would have said that was an oxymoron. It's two words that can't possibly go logically together. But here we are. The First Amendment gives them the right to lie, and no one can stop them. They answer to no one. 
Except, there is still one entity in America that can hold the media accountable. That's you and me. That's why we have a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor. Remember that they can always change the dictionary. But if anyone ever tells you they can change reality, that's just fake news.